Welcome to the Manor. Welcome back to the Twin Terrors Macabre Manor of Mead, Metal, and Mayhem. I'm Jody. And I'm James. So what are we doing today, James? Oh, creepy, creepy, spooky Halloween-themed things. <laughs> Sorry. You may, want to get, you may want to get that looked at. No, nah, I'm, I'm good. They, they thought it was a problem with my heart. Then they couldn't find it. Yeah, so yeah. I, can, I can attest to that. <laughs> he has the heart of a little child. <laughs> you should give that back. <laughs> Fuck that little bastard. <laughs> yes, but we have surprises for you today. Oh, so wonderful, sweet, dark surprises. <laughs> yeah. In the form of poetry. <laughs> I was about to say an ice bucket. <laughs> Thank you, Wonder Twins. <laughs> so this episode we are going to do some vampire poems. Now in our episode on vampire literature, we talked a little bit about vampire poetry, but uh, uh, only gave a couple of examples. So wanted to do some more. And... Also going to do a uh, little Halloween story that James recorded actually a few days ago, but uh, we're going <laughs> to drop it in there too. Yes, the spooky adventures of Nira, who an Irish Halloween sound tale of evilness. Evil, I say. <laughs> Calm down there, Satan. <laughs> no. <laughs> I got pumpkin-shaped Reese's cups. Okay. <laughs> I thought that'd get you. <laughs> Wait, did I just make a deal? Fuck. One <laughs> thing goes, I just made a deal with Jody. Damn it. <sighs> so yeah, I'm going to have some wonderful spooky things for you to celebrate the Halloween season. <laughs> yeah. Unfortunately, most of the vampire poems that I found weren't very imaginative with their titles. <laughs> There's, what, the, the, the vampire? Yeah. Vampire. <laughs> the vampire. The vampire bride. <laughs> and, and the vampire with a Y. Why, <laughs> <laughs> oh, why? Uh, sorry. Uh, uh. I'm not doing Halloween any justice with that. <laughs> so, which are you, uh, which are you going to do first? Vampire, 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 Brian. <laughs> uh, I'm going to start with the vampire. Good choice. <laughs> I, I thought so. Um, this particular one uh, was written by, uh, I'm going to butcher the name. <laughs> I know which one it is. <laughs> <laughs> I figured I'd start with this one first. Um, Vasile Alexandri. Uh, he was from uh, Moldavia and uh, Hey, they, uh, let's see, this was published, uh, first published in English, so I don't know if he wrote it in English or translated, or if he translated it in English or if um, uh, somebody else did, but uh, if, if somebody else did, then, then this book here I have, the Vampire Archives does not say who translated it. Um, you know, only two things come from Moldavia, uh, ears and, <laughs> and vampires. <laughs> Which one are you, boy? Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> anyway, uh, this was uh, first published in English in November 1886 in, in an issue of the English Illustrated Magazine. So, here we go. The Vampire. <laughs> 
by Vasile Alexandri. Near the cliff's sharp edge, on high, standing out against the sky. Dost thou see a ruined cross, weather-stained, overgrown by moss, gloomy, desolate, forsaken, by unnumbered tempests shaken? Not a blade of grass grows nigh it, not a peasant lingers by it. E'en the summer bird of night shuns it in her darksome flight, startled by the piteous groan that arises from the stone. All around on starless nights, myriad hosts of livid lights flicker fretfully, revealing at its foot a phantom kneeling, whilst it jabbers dismal plaints, cursing God and all the saints. Tardy traveler, beware of that specter gibbering there. Close your eyes and urge your steed to the utmost of his speed. For beneath that cross, I ween, lies a vampire's corpse obscene. Though the night is black and cold, love's fond story, often told, floats in whispers through the air. Stalwart youth and maiden fair, seal sweet vows of ardent passion with their lips in lover's fashion. Restless, pale, a shape I see. Hovering nigh, what may it be? Tis a charger, white as snow, pacing slowly to and fro like a sentry, as he turns haughtily the sward he spurns. Leave me not, beloved, tonight. Stay with me till morning's light. Weeping, thus besought the maid. Love, my soul is sore afraid. Brave not the dread vampire's power, mightiest at this mystic hour. Not a word he spake, but pressed the sobbing maiden to his breast. Kissed her lips and cheeks and eyes, heedless of her tears and sighs. Waved his hand with gesture gay, mounted, smiled, and rode away. Who rides across the dusky plain, tearing along with might and main, like some wild storm fiend in his flight, nursed on the ebony breast of night? Tis he who left her in her need, her lover on his milk-white steed. The blast in all its savage force strives to overthrow the gallant horse that snorts defiance to his foe and struggles onward. See below the causeway along the riverside, a thousand fluttering flamelets glide. Now they approach and now recede, still followed by the panting steed. He nears the ruined cross, a crash, a piteous cry, a heavy splash, and in the rocky riverbed, rider and horse lie crushed and dead. Then from those dismal depths arise, blaspheming yells and strident cries re-echoing through the murky air, and like a serpent from its lair, brandishing high a blood-stained glaive, the vampire rises from his grave. No, I was wrong. Translated into English by William Beatty Kingston. <laughs> there, there we go. <laughs> it's at the bottom. That's yeah, it. it's at the bottom, and I saw that earlier and completely forgot. So there was uh, the, the vampire by uh, Vasily Alexander. Vasily Vasily Alexandri. That guy. <laughs> Him over there. Yeah. All right. So to break it up a little bit, this one is. Uh, <laughs> said Drago to uh, Paul <laughs> Creed. <laughs> yeah, I remember that the other day. <laughs> All right. So this next one was. Uh, by Henry Thomas Liddell. It says it was published in 1833. And I, I've tried to look up the full poem. This is just a fragment. Um, I, I think this guy was a British politician, but I, I'm not sure if it's the same one because the information I found on a Henry Thomas Liddell didn't specify that he actually 
wrote anything but it talked more about him being a, a politician but this one's the vampire bride and like, like i said it's just a fragment i'm i've looked for the full poem i couldn't find it but i also didn't look that hard but i, I did <laughs> i did google it and i just i kept finding the same fragment i, I wasn't finding any more of the poem so but uh, yeah this is the vampire bride a fragment of the vampire bride uh, by Hom henry thomas liddell I am come, I am come, once again from the tomb, in return for the ring which you gave. That I am thine, and that thou art mine, this nuptial pledge receive. He lay like a corse neath the demon's force, and she wrapped him in a shroud. And she fixed her teeth, his heart beneath, and she drank of the warm lifeblood. And ever and anon murmured the lips of stone, soft and warm is this couch of thine. Thou'lt tomorrow be laid on a colder bed, Albert, that bed will be mine. So yeah, uh, lots of yeah. <laughs> and that's that's creepy with nice imagery. Yeah, isn't it though? <laughs> but I like that one. That one's actually more of the traditional vampire where you're supposed to be mine. You see this ring? Yeah. <laughs> you said forever. <laughs> <laughs> well, and and I've read I've actually read the full The Bride of Corinth by uh, Goth, and. Uh, it's kind of a, a similar thing uh, and and I do want to do that one I it's really long and I don't want to do it right now <laughs> so we're not doing that one on this episode um, and we may you know we'll save that for a later date but uh, I, I do want to eventually do that one cool let's mark that place and I will take a take a sip of Malort mm, Malort yeah. <clears throat> that don't loosen the vocal cords up. I don't know what will. <laughs> Loosens them up because it starts to eat. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. So, you ready for the next one? I'm ready. Yay. All right. So, this one's from 1810. Uh, it was written by John Stagg. Uh, da, 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 da. He is also from England. The English, they do love their vampires. Yes, and actually, it's funny you said that because this one is actually spelled vampire with a Y. So it, it is the the vampire, but you know, or or the vampire, whichever way you want to pronounce it, I guess. Vampire. But yeah, this is this is the this is the out of the, all of them that are titled the vampire, this is the only one that actually is spelled different. <laughs> Which is amazing because usually those English try to anglicize everything. Yes. <laughs> Bastards. <laughs> they are English. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So John Stagg, the vampire. Why looks my <laughs> Sorry. You made it sound like John Stagg's the vampire. <laughs> oh, but I, I did, didn't I? <laughs> Hi, I'm James. John Stagg, the vampire. <laughs> <laughs> nice to meet you. <laughs> Yeah, that's pretty good. I didn't mean to do that. But. Okay. Uh, why looks my lord so deadly pale? Why fades the crimson from his cheek? What can my dearest husband ail? Thy heartfelt cares, O Herman, speak. Why, at the silent hour of rest, dost thou in sleep so sadly mourn? Hast thou, with heaviest grief oppressed, griefs too distressful to be borne? Why heaves thy breast? Why throbs thy heart? Oh, speak, and if there be relief, thy Gertrude's solace shall impart. If not, at least shall share thy grief. 
Wan is that cheek which once the bloom of manly beauty sparkling showed. Dim are those eyes in pensive gloom that late with keenest luster glowed. Say why, too, at the midnight hour, you sadly pant and tug for breath, as if some supernatural power were pulling you away to death. Restless though sleeping, still you groan, and with convulsive horror start. O Herman, to thy wife make known that grief which preys upon thy heart. O Gertrude, how shall I relate the uncommon anguish that I feel? Strange as severe is this my fate, a fate I cannot long conceal. In spite of all my wanted strength, stern destiny has sealed my doom. The dreadful malady at length will drag me to the silent tomb. But say, my Herman, what's the cause of this distress and all I care? What, vulture-like, thy vitals gnaws and galls thy bosom with despair? Sure this can be no common grief. Sure this can be no common pain. Speak, if this world contain relief, that soon thy Gertrude shall obtain. O Gertrude, tis a horrid cause. O Gertrude, tis a natural care, that vulture-like my vitals gnaws, and galls my bosom with despair. Young Sigismund, my once dear friend, but lately he resigned his breath. With others I did him attend unto the silent house of death. For him I wept, and for him I mourned, paid all to friendship that was due, but sadly friendship is returned. Thy Herman he must follow too. Must follow to the gloomy grave, in spite of human art or skill. No power on earth my life can save, tis fate's unalterable will. Young Sigismund, my once dear friend, but now my persecutor foul, doth his malevolence extend, e'en to the torture of my soul. By night, when wrapped in soundest sleep, all mortals share a soft repose. My soul doth dreadful vigils keep, more keen than which hell scarcely knows. From the drear mansion of the tomb, from the low regions of the dead, the ghost of Sigismund doth roam, and dreadful haunts me in my bed. There, vested in infernal guise, by means to me not understood, close to my side the goblin lies, and drinks away my vital blood. Sucks from my veins the streaming life, and drains the fountain of my heart. O oh, Gertrude, Gertrude, dearest wife, unutterable is my smart. When surfeited the goblin dire, with banqueting by suckled gore, will to his sepulchre retire, till night invites him forth once more. Then will he dreadfully return, and from my veins life's juices drain, whilst slumbering I with anguish mourn, and toss with agonizing pain. Already I'm exhausted, spent, his carnival is nearly over. My soul with agony is rent, tomorrow I shall be no more. But oh, my Gertrude, dearest wife, the keenest pangs hath last remained. When dead, I too shall seek thy life, thy blood by Herman shall be drained. But to avoid this horrid fate, soon as I'm dead and laid in earth, drive through my corpse a javelin straight, this shall prevent my coming forth. Oh, watch with me this last sad night, watch in your chamber here alone, but careful conceal the light until you hear my parting groan. Then at what time the vesper bell of yonder convent shall be told, that peal shall ring my passing knell, and Herman's body shall be cold. Then, and just then, thy lamp make bare, the startling ray, the bursting light, shall from my side the goblin scare, and show him visible to sight. The live-long night poor Gertrude sate, watched by her sleeping dying lord. The live-long night she mourned his fate, the object whom her soul adored. Then at what time the vesper bell of yonder convent sadly told, then, 
then was peeled his passing knell, the hapless Herman, he was cold. Just at that moment, Gertrude drew from neath her cloak the hidden light. When dreadful, she beheld in view the shade of Sigismund, sad sight. Indignant rolled his ireful eyes that gleamed with wild, horrific stare, and fixed a moment with surprise, beheld aghast the enlightening glare. His jaws cadaverous were besmeared with clotted carnage o'er and o'er, and all his horrid whole appeared distent and filled with human gore. With hideous scowl the specter fled. She shrieked aloud, then swooned away. The hapless Herman in his bed, all pale, a lifeless body lay. Next day in council t'was decree, urged at the instance of the state, that shuddering nature should be freed from pests like these ere t'was too late. The choir then burst the funeral dome where Sigismund was lately laid, and found him though within the tomb still warm as life and undecayed. With blood his visage was disdained, ensanguined were his frightful eyes, each sign of former life remained, save that all motionless he lies. Corpse of Herman they contrived to the same sepulchre to take, and through both carcasses they drive, deep in the earth, a sharpened stake. By this was finished their career, through this no longer they can roam. From them their friends have not to fear, both quiet keep the slumbering tomb. Yeah, and no, some of that harkens back to the folklore. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's what I liked about that one. I, it wasn't necessarily the best written one that I'd read, but I, I liked all those references to the folklore and stuff. I thought that was really cool. Although I will say I've never wanted to suckle gore more than I do right now. <laughs> next, next to Clotted Carnage. <laughs> I know, isn't that kind of cool? <laughs> As you can tell, this was written in what? Late 1700s, early 18... Early 1800s, yeah. I think, uh, when did I say it was published? Uh, 1810. Yeah, because, yeah, you know, first, Herman and Gertrude. Yeah. That's not going to be current. But they used the word wan at the beginning. Yeah. Oh, she looks so wan. <laughs> Hello, <Yeah>. Victoria. <laughs> By the way, uh, you know how we talk about words we mispronounce as kids? Yeah. Sepulcher. <laughs> sep sep I, well, I've heard it pronounced both ways. Oh, well, maybe mine wasn't wrong. Hmm. Well, I'm going to drink anyway. Yeah, me too. Mmm, <laughs> anything done. Mm. Yeah. Okay, so your, your, uh, your story, did you uh, put that together? Because I know, I mean, I've read the story too. Yeah, um, yeah, it's an it's a old Irish tale. Yeah. So it goes back a very long way. Um, I put my version together after reading two, I know two anyway, I think it could have been a third, um, but I know two stories by a couple of folklorists. Um, I didn't know you were going to ask me this, so I don't have them here right now. Yeah, that's, a... <laughs> <laughs> but, I kind of threw that at you, didn't I? <laughs> uh, but also a lot of the, the really neat stuff from the background, uh, because I also say what some of the things mean at the end. Yeah, uh, come from the story archaeologists, a really wonderful web, uh, podcast. Yeah, they they know actual Irish and even old Irish, and they know what the words mean and what goes on in the folklore. So, yeah, they were probably the biggest influence on my little version. Yeah, you're right. That is that is an excellent podcast. I really I need to start over because I'm so far behind with them. I don't even know where I'm at. <laughs> <laughs> I just I need to go back to the beginning and start over. Yeah. Uh, it's it's good. Um, yeah, uh, for this one, I think they may have titled their episode on Nira similar to what I did. I I kind of 
and by kind of um, not quite blatantly, but uh, ripped them off a little bit. Oh, yeah, okay. <laughs> but it was good. So, I mean, it's, it's similar. It's not a ripoff, but it's, it's yeah. an homage, if you will. There you go. <laughs> Duchess. <laughs> Damn it, I got a drink. Uh. <laughs> uh, but yeah, it's good stuff. I likes it. And when Jody and I were talking about doing this, I thought we were going to do two separate ones where he just does poetry and I did this. Um, so part of it may sound like I did my own thing because I did. <laughs> yeah, well, we, we, yeah, we'd kind of talked about it and I just, I hadn't gotten around to recording any, well, I'd recorded one of mine, but I just reread the entire thing. <laughs> so um, we, we weren't sure exactly which way we were going to go with it, but yeah, this is kind of how we did it. You, you title, what did you title this? <laughs> it's titled The Strange Tale of Nira. All right, and here you go. On Samhain night, the troops and household of Aegil and Medev were Rakhruken, sitting around their fires and cauldrons, feasting in celebration of the festival. There was much drinking of mead, and all were in a good mood. With being Samhain, Aegil offered a reward for any who completed a spooky quest. Two captives had been hung earlier in the day, and any man who could tie a withy, we know it as a willow branch, around the ankle of either corpse would receive a gold-hilted sword. While several of the men made the attempt, all came back early, saying the night was full of ghosts and giant cats. After all, on Samhain night, the doors between this world and the next open. There was still one last participant to make the attempt, though. Nira was determined to win the sword, no matter the monsters in the way. Nira braved the dark night and came to the gallows, where he made multiple attempts at tying the withy around the first corpse's ankle. The withy, while being pliable, was also very springy, too springy, and so kept snapping back and would not stay attached to the ankle. The longer the task was taking, the more Nira started to worry about the creatures around him, and was getting more terrified by the moment when he heard a voice above him. Peg it to my ankle! the corpse said, looking down at him with the grim rictus upon its face. Nira, obviously not overly shocked, this was Sawa Night after all, followed the thing's advice and managed to secure the withy to the ankle, completing the task Elil had laid out. Thank you, Nira said to the corpse. The corpse, still looking down, made a request. I was very thirsty when I was hung. If you would like to repay me, Take me to get a drink. Nira assented and, as soon as he had nodded, the corpse dropped down from the gallows and attached its arms around Nira's neck and its legs firmly around Nira's waist, making it clear it would not be shaken off. And so Nira ended up giving one of the creepiest piggyback rides in history. They walked a short while and came upon a cottage that was surrounded by a lake of flames. They must have dampened the fire as they were supposed to. We cannot enter. The second household they happened upon was surrounded by a lake of water. They must have thrown out the feed water. We must pass it by. The third dwelling, however, had no such barriers and the duo were able to enter, discovering a sleeping family as they ducked down through the portal. For the drink, they found three buckets of water. The corpse drank from the first two, getting its fill. 
from the third, took a large swig and spit the water into the faces of the sleeping family. As Nero watched, a sickness spread quickly over the recumbent bodies, first giving them purple veins across their skin, which turned into a full covering of miasmatic green, finished by a putrid black, and finally death. Satisfied with its drink, the corpse was taken back to the gallows by Nero, where it clambered up and off Nero's back, reattaching the noose where it hung still and lifeless once again. As Nero made his way back to the festival, he saw a great light in front of him. He ran towards it and beheld a large host attacking his people, killing them all. From a short distance, he followed the invading army as they returned to their abode, the mound of Kruikan, where the army was going into the mound's cave one by one. Hearing the passphrase, there is a human on the path, and the response, the road is surely heavy for it. Nero was able to get into the mound and followed the steps down into its interior. Realizing he had followed a Shi army down into the other world, Nero attempted to sneak around, wondering how he would escape. He was noticed by the mound's inhabitants and was soon surrounded by guards and their king. Perhaps he is not as stealthy as he should have been. Perhaps he had his warning that the Shi already knew he was there when they used the password of a human on their trail so explicitly. Rather than being wrathful, however, the king of the Shi was polite and impressed with Nir's bravery. Nir's punishment was to carry firewood for a specific Shi woman every day and to be her consort as well. Realizing there are much worse punishments, Nir worked hard at his task and grew to love the fairy woman, who in turn fell in love with him. Every day as he was getting the firewood, he noticed a blind man and a lame man, one being carried on the back of the other, going to the well in the center of the king's realm. Here they would always comment, is it there? And yes, it's there. On one of these trips, Nir finally asked of what they spoke and they stated the king's golden crown was in the well and it was their duty to check it every day. The time in the mound was always confusing. Hours seemed days and days seemed hours and Nir felt he'd been in the other world for months. During this time, Nir's wife asked him about his previous life and how he ended up with her. Upon the final ending of his tale, she told him that the invasion had not happened yet, but rather would on the following Samhain night. Revealing that she was pregnant with his child, she gave him instructions on how to escape and how he could convince his people to prepare so they would be able to repel the she-warriors when they did arrive, as long as he promised to come back and keep her and their child safe. Thinking he had been gone for months, his wife told him that in his world, he'd only been gone a few hours. All he needed to do was take the blossoms of plants in the other world to show his king and queen that he had been somewhere where spring had come, very different from the autumn time that was occurring in the human world. He followed his wife's advice and stole out of the mound a golden primrose flower. He returned to the campfires and spoke to Aelil and Medev, who were suitably convinced of a story. They not only prepared for the attack, but decided the best option was to attack the Shiram itself. The following Samhain, they entered the mound and defeated their enemies and took the golden crown. Aelil had given Nira a little extra time which he used to take his wife and son to safety. Along with his family, he also took a magnificent bull calf whose role in Irish myth becomes very important at a later time. The moral of the story is, if you follow strangers into a creepy underground city on Halloween night, you'll be rewarded with fame and the love of a beautiful fairy woman. So go ahead, try it. Hope you enjoyed it, but before I leave, some context, context. If you don't want to know the context, just want to go with the story, you can stop listening now. Otherwise, the tale 
an Irish called Echtranira. Uh, it's been extant for from at least the 10th century, possibly even the 8th, so it's very old, you know, we're talking the 700s. Some versions will tell how it occurs on Samhain Eve, uh, but the ancient Irish started their days at sundown, so what we consider the previous previous evening really was the start of Samhain, uh, which is why Halloween celebrated uh, the night before November 1st. And Kruikin is not only associated with Halloween through this tale, but also is the location where the Morgan comes out every Halloween on her chariot, which is pulled by a red one-legged horse. Uh, how that works, I don't know, but you know, if you think one leg makes it odd, you should hear how the horse was attached to the chariot. I'll let you look that one up. <laughs> Uh, so Halloween, Samhain, is a liminal time where the gates to the other world are thin. Ghosts and fairies and other beings can cross the threshold into the human world. Uh, this occurs twice a year at Samhain and then six months later at Beltane, uh, Beltana, each being the marker of summer and winter. If you're wondering where the giant cats come in, uh, when I said ghosts and giant cats, uh, the Irish didn't have legends of fierce dragons like the other Celtic countries did, specifically Wales, but they had huge vicious cat creatures that would make Smaug think twice between messing around with them. And this isn't the only tale with giant cats. There's actually a much, much larger tale. And sometimes giant cats aren't even mentioned in this one. And if you're curious about the whole ring of fire and ring of water and everything and why the corpse couldn't enter, what this is, it's good housekeeping advice that was handed down through the centuries. Fire should be dampened at the end of the day so the house wouldn't catch fire but it should never be put out completely, so it's easy to be brought back up in the morning. Uh, the only time it was ever completely put out uh, was during the other liminal time of the year, Beltane, where a communal bonfire was ignited and every family lit a stick from it and they'd go back and light their own hearth fire for the whole following year. And then the wastewater or slop water, also called the feet water, needed to be thrown out every day to avoid sickness in the household. Third house did not do this, and that's why it's shown that the family died from some sort of sickness after the corpse spit in their faces. The invading army, the, the she, the fairy army, is an instance of what Yates called the fairy host, and it's related to the wild hunt, something that I think we may get into at Yule time this year. And long before fairies were considered small, wee, little diaphanous twee beings with gowns and wings, uh, they were the old gods of Ireland, and human-sized or larger. They weren't gentle creatures at all, and an invading host of them would be quite terrifying to behold. As far as that timing of Nira in the She-Mound, where he couldn't know how long he was gone, there's a difference in time and space and how it's perceived in our world and the Celtic other world. What you think is a small space from the outside becomes a huge, large realm once Nira enters, and his perception of time is so skewed that even though he thinks he's been underground for months and months, it's only been hours, uh, although some versions say it was only three days, that seems kind of short for me for the whole falling in love from consort to finding out she's pregnant, but eh, it's all good. Uh, the fairy realm's very different than ours, so it's possible. Usually, though, it's the reverse, where those taken into the mounds think they've only been away for a short period of time, and they come home to the human world to find out everybody they've known has passed away because they've been gone decades or centuries. And you'll notice James used sound effects on that. <laughs> I was inspired one day. <laughs> I thought <laughs> I thought it was pretty cool. Yeah. Thanks. Uh, well, I wanted the sound effects to make it a little creepier. Plus, that helps cover up some of my little stuttered utterances. <laughs> <laughs> and by the way, if you actually want to read the story, I pretty much read the version that I wrote, and I'll put a link. Oh, cool. Yes. Awesome. Well, we've already talked about I've, I've read a couple different versions of it, and 
uh, you know, again, the story archaeologist. I, I did listen to that episode, so I was a little familiar with that too. So, uh, yeah, but uh, yeah, good job there. Uh, thanks. Yeah, you're thank welcome. you. Thank you very little. Yeah, you're you're welcome, even less. <laughs> so, oh, what sort of poem do you have for us now? Um, well, surprise, surprise, it's called the Vampire. <laughs> <laughs> This one uh, was published in 1896 by Madison Julius Kaywin. I, I, I'm guessing it's, it might be pronounced Kaywine. I'm not sure. Uh, Looks Welsh to me. It could be. But so, I like the Welsh. So So it may not be pronounced Kaywine or Kaywin either. It may be pronounced something completely different. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't look up any information on this person. So, well, I may have actually printed some out and then not kept the biographical information when I printed this out. <laughs> so, so my apologies to uh, Madison. <laughs> yeah, but so, all right, so this one's from the, the late 1800s as opposed to the early 1900s as like, or early, late 1800s as opposed to the early 1800s, not early 1900s, because that would have been, because early 1900s would have been closer to late 1800s. Yeah. But not the middle twenty hundreds, right? Although in this one, you know, you were you were pointing out that um, in in Stag's poem that I that I had done uh, that I had read uh, the use of the the word Juan. Yes, it's it's in here too. <laughs> of course it is. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, here is the Vampire by uh, Madison Julius Kaywin. A lily in a twilight place, a moonflower in the lonely night. Strange beauty of a woman's face, of wildflower white. The rain that hangs a star's green ray, slim on a leaf point's restlessness, is not so glimmering green and gray, as was her dress. I drew her dark hair from her eyes, and in their deeps beheld a while, such shadowy moonlight as the skies of hell may smile. She held her mouth up redly wan and burning cold, I bent and kissed such rosy snow as some wild dawn makes of a mist. God shall not take from me that hour when round my neck her white arms clung, when neath my lips like some fierce flower her white throat swung. Or words she murmured while she leaned, which words she holds me softly by, the spell that binds me to a fiend until I die. And, and right there uh, where I said which words, that's which like a witch, W I T C H. So mm. yeah, yeah, kind of like a yeah, like a spell, which is what he says in the next line. <laughs> <laughs> For foreshadowing? No, it's no. just there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Madison so. has a, a another really neat poem called Hallowmass, which doesn't go with vampires, but it does go really good with Halloween. So oh, I will have to look that up because I did not find that. I didn't see that one. I'll, I'll have to look that one up quite good it's short too it's nice oh. well i do you do you want to include it or uh well that's up to you it's not a vampire thing well neither was really your story of nira <laughs> oh no but it wasn't a poem sure here i'll i'll do it okay and we'll take it out if it sucks okay hello mass by madison julius here <clears throat> All hushed of glee, the last chill bee clings wearily to the dying aster. The leaves drop faster, and all around, red as disaster, the forest crimsons with tree on tree. A butterfly, the last to die, droops heavily by, 
way down with torpor, the air grows sharper, and the wind in the trees, like some sad harper, sits in sorrows with sigh on sigh. The far crows call, the acorns fall, and over all, the autumn rises, dun mists and hazes, through which her soul it seemeth gazes on ghosts and dreams and carnival. The end is near, the dying year learns low to hear, her own heart breaking and beauty taking, her flight and all her dreams forsaking, her soul bowed down mid the sad and sear. Huh, cool. Yeah. It's Halloween-y. A little Halloween-y. Yeah, well, I'm talking about the end of the year and everything, that makes sense. Yep, ghosts and yeah. dying and end of the year and some hot tree-on-tree -tree action. <laughs> <laughs> mm, that's, ooh, I'll look that up on Pornhub later. <laughs> Uh, I don't know. It seems like an awful lot of wood for what you usually look up. Yeah, that's a good point. Maybe Rob would be more interested in that than I would. <laughs> <laughs> Poor Rob. <laughs> Which Rob? Does it matter? <laughs> nope. <laughs> yeah, we can joke like that because we know he'll never listen. <laughs> Which one? Again. Okay, yeah. Doesn't, doesn't matter. <laughs> There's three of them. <laughs> Guaranteed, none of those bastards have listened to any of them. So allow me to be the first to say, fucker, you fucker, you fucker. Uh, anyway. So, there's one more? One more. Um, surprisingly enough, called The Vampire. <laughs> I sense a theme. Uh, yeah. Um, all right, so this one was the most recent. It was written by uh, Conrad Aiken, published in uh, 1914. And he actually, I believe, is the only American <laughs> out of all of these. I think. I'm not entirely sure. Uh, but he's uh, uh, da, 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 from Savannah, Georgia. So, But I, I saved this one for last because this was the one I enjoyed the most. And, and uh, I'll, I'll try to remember after I'm done reading it to uh, tell you what it makes me think of after uh, – or yeah 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 that's what i'm trying to say yeah i'll tell you what it makes me think of after i'm done reading it so i so, gotcha yeah, yeah so uh, right so the vampire by conrad aiken she rose among us where we lay she wept we put our work away she chilled our laughter stilled our play and spread a silence there and darkness shot across the sky and once and twice we heard her cry and saw her lift white hands on high and toss her troubled hair what shape was this who came to us with basilisk eyes so ominous, with mouth so sweet, so poisonous, and tortured hands so pale? We saw her wavering to and fro, through dark and wind we saw her go. Yet what her name was did not know, and felt our spirits fail. We tried to turn away, but still, above we heard her sorrow thrill. And those that slept, they dreamed of ill and dreadful things of skies grown red with rending flames and shuddering hills that cracked their frames of twilights foul with wings and skeletons dancing to a tune and cries of children stifled soon and over all a blood red moon, a dull and nightmare sighs. They woke and sought to go their ways, yet everywhere they met her gaze, her fixed and burning eyes. Who are you now? We cried to her spirit so strange so sinister 
we felt dead winds above us stir, and in the darkness heard a voice fall, singing, cloying sweet, heavily dropping, though that heat, heavy as honeyed pulses beat, slow word by anguished word. And through the night strange music went, with voice and cry so darkly blent. We could not fathom what they meant, save only that they seemed to thin the blood along our veins, foretelling vile, delirious pains and clouds divulging blood-red rains upon a hill undreamed. And this we heard, who dies for me, he shall possess me secretly. My terrible beauty he shall see and slake my body's flame. But who denies me cursed shall be and slain and buried loathsomely and slimed upon with shame. And darkness fell, and like a sea of stumbling deaths we followed, we who dared not stay behind. There all night long beneath a cloud, we rose and fell, and struck and bowed. We were the plowman and the plowed, our eyes were red and blind. And some, they said, had touched her side before she fled us there, and some had taken her to bride, and some lain down for her and died, who had not touched her hair ran to and fro and cursed and cried and sought her everywhere. Her eyes have feasted on the dead and small and shapely is her head and dark and small her mouth, they said, and beautiful to kiss. Her mouth is sinister and red as blood in moonlight is. Then poets forgot their jeweled words and cut the sky with glittering swords and innocent souls turned carrion birds to perch upon the dead. Sweet daisy fields were drenched with death. The air became a charnel breath. Pale stones were splashed with red. Green leaves were dappled bright with blood and fruit trees murdered in the bud. And when at length the dawn came green as twilight from the east and all that heaving horror ceased, silent was every bird and beast and that dark voice was gone. No word was there, no song, no bell, no furious tongue that dream to tell, only the dead who rose and fell above the wounded men, and whisperings and wails of pain, blown slowly from the wounded crane, blown slowly from the smoking plain, and silence fallen again, until at dusk, from God knows where, beneath dark birds that filled the air, like one who did not hear or care under a blood-red cloud, an aged plowman came alone and drove his share through flesh and bone and turned them under to mold and stone all night long he plowed. Yeah. That is good. I like that one. Um, that makes me think of the lyrics to Deep Purple's song, Burn. Huh. So, yeah, that's, um, which is, will come up in a future Deep Purple episode. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, I've referenced it because you mentioned how much you. Nope, no, it's coming out. Never mind. Yeah, yeah, I haven't got there yet. <laughs> That's um, right. We've talked about it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I liked that one the most. That's why I saved it for last. That was nice. I liked yeah. it. It's nice and dark and bloody, gory imagery. Yeah, the last little bit too. When you talk about the plowman, I imagine yeah. death with the scythe doing all the churning. Yeah. Yeah. I guess in a way I kind of picture like a battlefield, maybe. You know, this was, well, no, because this was published in 1914, so, and it just, 
for the date, it gives January 1st, 1914. So I know that's wrong. But uh, the, 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 the year, I think, is right. But I don't think they know the exact date the song or the poem was published. So it would have actually predated World War One by a few months. But that's kind of what it makes me think of is something like that. And I don't think he wasn't born until after the Civil War. So he wouldn't have seen any of that. But um, I don't know, maybe having, cause like I said, he was from Savannah, Georgia, maybe, you know, reading about stuff like Sherman's March to the Sea or something like that, you know, maybe that's kind of what inspired it. I, I don't know. I didn't really look into We're always in wars too. I mean, Teddy, that might've been about the time Teddy Roosevelt and the Rough Riders went over. True. Yeah. Yeah. Or the whole Spanish American war going on. Yeah. Maybe may around that or when, before he published it, but when he was alive. I'd yeah. Maybe. Yeah. He would have, yeah. He would have been a little bit younger than that when, cause that was what a good 15, 20 years before World War One broke out. I think, or yeah, it was around that time frame when he was, when he would have been growing up. Cause I think it, I think it said he was born in 18, 1889. Yeah. So he would have been alive. I can't yeah. remember when, but I just know uh Spanish American war was a year to maybe three before 1900, but yeah, just before. Yeah. So yeah, he would have, but yeah, it does. It makes me, uh, it, it kind of makes me think of the battlefield or something. Yeah. I hadn't, um, yeah, I, I could see, I, I hadn't really, thought of the plowman at the end being death but now that you say it i that makes a lot of sense so but yeah that was and like i said the the lyrics to to burn from deep purple <laughs> which is one of one of my fav very favorite deep purple songs so but we'll get into that later <laughs> so there you have it some spooky halloween poetry and stories yeah some of your halloween special extras from us because well, we love Halloween. Yeah. You guys are okay, too. Yeah. Mmm, <laughs> Lord. <laughs> ah. All right, so we hope you enjoyed that. Let us know um, either on Facebook or on the uh, the podcast uh, page. <laughs> yeah, true. You can go there. Yeah, right. the podcast site uh, on Podbean. Um, uh, yeah, let us know if you enjoyed that because uh, we've been kind of thinking of doing a little bit more stuff like that not necessarily poetry but you know maybe reading some stories or something as part of the podcast too so yeah or a new one or something mm -hmm. yeah i guess that's it <laughs> yeah well, halloween's just a few days away and we hope you're gonna enjoy it but we've got a couple more specials coming out too so yeah <laughs> no you know i think this will be the one right before halloween maybe i shouldn't say that oh okay i think this is scheduled to be the Next uh, to unless, last. In, unless we decide to do another one, it will be the one right before Halloween. Oh, okay. All right. Sweet. Yeah. So, yeah, Halloween's in a couple of days. Ha-ha. <laughs> Yay! <laughs> All right. In that case, I'm Jody. And I'm James. We'll see you later. Bye. <laughs> the Macabre Manor is brought to you by the Twin Terrors. All rights reserved. Stay tuned for some fun outtakes. Welcome back to the can't even do it when I'm on my own. Hello. That's what she said. No, wait. <laughs> well, she said we'll talk off, but. Uh-huh. We're all good. <laughs> Sorry. Trying not to burp right in your ear. Oh, thanks. Appreciate that. Mmm, my lord. <laughs> uh. Yarg. <laughs> this is a tangential thing.
the Justice League cartoon, the actual first season or two were just like these teenagers that hung around with them, and I actually like them better. Oh yeah, um, yeah. I never can remember their names though. <laughs> uh, I can't and don't care. I just the Wonder Ten sucked. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, let's move on. Okay. We don't want to get that scary. Oh man. Yeah. <laughs> But if you want to make another deal, <laughs> no, yeah, no, I'm good. <laughs> <laughs> that was metal. <laughs> well, it was kind of grating on the ears. <laughs> yeah, when, that's more like country. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's more like stab your ear, stab yourself in the ear with a rusty nail. <laughs> <laughs> uh, somebody let that poor cat out of the tin can. <laughs> Poor cat. Wait, wait, is it is it Schrodinger's cat? It is. Except in this case, is it gonna be off key or really off key? <laughs> Flicker fretfully. Yeah, let me redo that. Yeah, screw that up. Get a little water there. As a little parched after that. I can see why. I mean yeah. that made me parched, but it was, I'm, I'm, you know. <laughs> So, Why do you uh, think uh, your culture is the best? Because we keep winning? <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, I mean. <laughs> if you don't like it, beat us. My cat's about to spaz out. I don't know why. Get him, get him, get him. Okay, he's not going to spaz out. He's licking his butt. <laughs> Moving on. <laughs> so your story. Um, now, did you? <clears throat> Sorry, uh, hold on a second. Let me okay. cough and hack that out. I didn't know you were going to go there. <laughs> the strange tough. Fuck, you bastard. Our words she murmured while she... <clears throat> yeah, I screwed that up. <laughs> you just added a murmur, that's all. Yeah. Ah, that, that damn last stanza. <laughs> damn it, Tony. Oh, yeah. uh, sorry. Uh, wrong stanza. Yeah. Damn pages. <clears throat> the moon was up, and I was walking through the neighborhood, and I was like, hey, look, it's almost a full moon. So I, I, I threw up the horns to the moon. <laughs> Nice. <laughs> Jocular. <laughs> Jocular. I don't have that on our list. We've not used that for a while. That's going up on the list. All right. Unless we start using it all the time again. We could. I love it when a plan comes together. <laughs> all right, Hannibal. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever you say, Murdoch. <laughs> trash bags. bags. <laughs> I, I want, want so trash bags. <laughs> that's one of the best. Yeah, that's one of the scenes I still have indelibly inked into my brain. 